Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story, you know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Welcome to Adventures in Library Instruction. This is episode 31, and this is our October-slash-November 2011 issue for complicated reasons. Um, hi, this is Jason, and uh, I'm the communication librarian at Georgia State University Library in Atlanta, Georgia. And sitting to my left is Anna Van Skoik. How are you, Anna? I'm doing fine. I just want to clarify, is that L-I-B-R-R-Y? L I B E R R Y. Library. Gotcha. That would be library otherwise. <laughs> library. That would be silly. That's just French cheese. Um, I am Anna Vanskoyek. I am a part time reference librarian uh, at a county public library system in New Jersey. And to my left is the lovely Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian, librarian, I guess, at, um, <laughs> at American University in Washington, D.C. I once got I, have a, mm-hmm. I, I once got an email address to um, Dear Liberians. <laughs> it was sent to the, the reference email address. So. Uh, Sorry. I wonder if it was intentional. I don't think so, because I gave them a hard time about it when I answered their reference question. <laughs> As every good reference librarian should do, <laughs> give exactly. their patrons a hard time. Make them feel <laughs> silly. Perfect. That's okay. <laughs> I told one of my students, congratulations for join- joining the 21st century earlier today. So. Nice. <laughs> what, what well, did her, they- computer was, her computer was so old that uh, neither EndNote, Zotero, nor Mendeley would work on it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Old. So we we missed recording last month, um, and maybe we should say a thing about that just for a moment, because that's the first first time we've missed a month. Um, we tried to record an October episode, and we were plagued by scheduling problems and uh, technical difficulties when we finally did try to record, and so we just said, well, we will do a combined October, November issue. So. You know, the thing I want to say about it is that I'm really proud of us for making it over two and a half years before this happened. We did. We did really well. <laughs> really impressive. <laughs> we did a lot better than a lot of other podcasts about yeah. not missing our, our schedule. So, Well, and in the spirit of patting ourselves on the back, I just wanted to say that I was proud that we were like, you know what? We just can't do it this month. And there was no stress. There was no beating each other up or ourselves up. It yeah. was just, you know what? We just can't do it this month. And that was it. Everything's fine. Yeah. Nothing blew up. <laughs> Nobody lost well, a limb. Everybody's I- fine. <laughs> I kind of, we have half the subscribers now, but well, and I, you know, I missed my October paycheck for the uh, for the podcast. That was kind of that, it was kind of a tight month. Revenues were way down. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, so uh, we've we've got a we've got a topic for the month, but let's um, kind of talk about what's what's been going on since it's been it's been about six weeks or so since we recorded. So, uh, what's up, everybody's? Uh, well, for for us academics, the semester is winding down. Um, is it is it getting quiet, Rachel? I believe I taught my well. I have some high schoolers that are coming in next week, um, but I think I taught my last college level class last night. But um, now is the time when I'm starting to get emails from people. So more appointments, fewer teaching sessions. That's so, yeah. That sounds really late in the semester. How long do you guys have classes? Um, I think last finals are around December 10th. Oh, okay. So you're fairly early. You're you're a but, week or two uh, later than us. Okay. Oh really? Oh wow! You guys, wait a minute. Our classes in like right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, we pretty much are. We've got like a week of exams, wow. but yeah, yeah, we're on oh. Thanksgiving break next week, and then, uh, I mean, I have to go to work, but um, the students are on break next week, and then I think it's pretty much exam week, and then we're done. I think classes end, or maybe classes end on December fifth, and maybe ex- maybe there's an exam week after that. I'm not entirely sure. So. Okay. Well. Um, right now, it seems like everyone's getting ready for their, <clears throat> excuse me, their final paper before uh, finals start. That's what it seems to be. So, like college writing is their like you know final work. Right. Um, so, so we're trying to scaffold. I, I saw a lot of the classes for the second time um, this semester. So, you know, building on what they learned the first time they saw me, which you know went reasonably well, except that I totally blanked earlier this week on what I taught one of the classes. <laughs> so I had to, I, it was just awful. I, my brain was mush that day. So I had to ask them, have you learned this before? Am I, am I teaching you new things? <laughs> it was awful, but we got through it. <laughs> Anna, how's it going? I'm doing fine. I mean, yeah, mine's pretty steady. I usually do two to three classes a month and, um, I've been trying to actually, I do the Hopewell Valley Seniors Connect. I don't know if you remember that, where it's kind of a partnership with our senior community center. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I do a monthly um, presentation, basically. It's not really hands-on. And I've kind of gotten this new thing in my head where I'm starting to bring in uh, guest speakers, because I only know so much, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as my husband thinks I know everything, because he does, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, it's just, it's been nice. I th- and I and I think the participants are enjoying it as well because obviously, like I said, you know, my my knowledge base is limited and, and I'm just bringing in people to kind of talk about different technologies and tools. I don't have an iPad and we're having someone come in and talk about an iPad um, <gasps> next month. Oh, that's really fun. Which hmm. is interesting because I think people think they know what a tablet is and what it does, but... It's whenever I talk to people, they re- they don't realize it's not really a computer. Computer, it's um, it's different, and it's what you do with the computer, not what the computer's doing for you, basically. So, we'll kind of see how that goes. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the whole balance thing, kind of like how we were okay not doing a podcast last month. I just kind of realized that I have, I don't know how. I think there are people out there that have more than twenty four hours in their day. I do not. I have twenty four. <laughs> I wish I had more. Um, and I do love teaching, but I guess I've, I've kind of, I'll, I'll keep teaching these, some of the sessions, but I'm bringing in people from around the county as well now, which is nice. So and are I you did kind not, of like, oh, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to ask if you're sort of the the facilitator then of the session, and you you book the guest speaker and yes. and so everything. That's yeah, cool. That's great. I'll kind of facilitate the discussion, and um, I've been doing a lot of the e-reader uh, classes, which mm-hmm. overdrive. Sorry, it just it drives me crazy, Oof. and I always think of yeah. that. Um, that cartoon, there's this cartoon, and if we can link to it, I will, but it talks about, it has this person, you know, in the first panel going to download an ebook, and then they come to oh, the yeah. DRM oh. wall or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's an XKCD. No, I'm, th- I'm thinking of a different one, because there, there's one oh. that I've that I've actually used in a presentation, so if you can't find it, Anna, let me know, and we'll, I'll get you the link. Do you know yeah. which one I'm talking about, then? It has, like, these, like, 12 panels, and he, the person is just going through all these issues trying to get a book downloaded onto their um, reading yep. device, and they end up going to, like, some free so- open source place to get it where they don't have to worry no, about the No, at the end, it's like, um, you know, screw the library, go to BitTorrent, download yes. it immediately, and yes. it works. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. And plus now with the addition of the Kindle with OverDrive, we're getting into – it's just – you have different devices, different methods, and um, – and then they ask my opinion on a reader, and I kind of don't say a lot, <laughs> to be honest with you, because I have issues with the Kindle. Um, but people tend to love it. If they have the Kindle, they love it. Uh, there yeah. have been some good blog posts about the Kindle um, library stuff and the experience for uh, library patrons. Um, they're basically getting an Amazon sales pitch every time they check out a book. Yes. Mm. And yeah, and library. I don't want to swear too much on the podcast, but but yeah, some I know some librarians who are really pretty pissed off about it. So. Yeah, they were, and they were upset with OverDrive as well because they wondered there there was a concern. Did OverDrive know that this was going to happen? That Amazon was going to track what they were checking out and and keep that in their history and and whatnot? And that's kind of against the whole freedom to read intellectual freedom aspect that i think libraries are <laughs> well, based on amazon's not a library they're right. still a business right i mean if they're offering content for free they've got to be get, getting something out of it just like facebook yeah. it's free but they're getting things from you whether you like it or not you would just think anyway. that there would be something that they could have worked out with overdrive that's all that's yeah. all i'm saying that's yeah. all i'm saying the stars but good time of year Good time of year to talk about uh, ebook readers because I'm sure it's on a lot of people's exactly, wishes. and that's why I wanted to have the iPad person come in also because I thought it would yep. be people are going to be buying stuff good, like that. Good thinking. I think that's excellent. <laughs> excellent marketing timing. <laughs> I don't like I don't like using business speak around library stuff, but that's an excellent marketing decision. <laughs> I also did a Twitter. I did a kind of an outreach. I went to a neighboring community senior center to do a Twitter presentation and there were about 50 people there and it was I did the Facebook one there as well and they just everyone loved Facebook and after Twitter it was just dead silence they were just like really yes they wow. thought it was the most what? narcissistic <laughs> Facebook <laughs> that's what I said and I and, and I'm a, and not that I'm a Twitter zeal it or whatever but i was just like you know i said i use it as a professional development tool i pointed out all these really and i used examples like of fundraising like the Livestrong um organization and all these really you know what i thought were po- pertinent um points to using twitter and they were just it was like crickets <laughs> <at the laughs> end. 
So yeah, there you go. They wow. love Facebook. Was there, specific, so. was there an age group? Is this a senior center? Senior center, a, a local, oh, okay. uh, a neighboring senior center to where uh, my library is. Not my I the one I normally work with, but a different one. Hmm. Nice I can assistant. see that if I can see if the point is more to keep in track, you know, keep in touch and keep track of other people, that maybe Twitter wouldn't be as I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some explanation. I can't. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess it's it's if you look at Facebook, it's a nice little portal. It's a what you have a web page and you go to other people's web pages. And Twitter is really there's more going underneath there. You have to click to go see other information, go see pictures, go to another website, etc. Mm. That's that's the only thing I can really think of. But it was funny I showed Oprah Winfrey's um, Twitter profile, you know, because I showed what you could do without mm. logging in. And of course, she swore in one of her tweets. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be safe, Oprah. That, that has happened to me when I was teaching um, web evaluation. And I, I wouldn't use this example mm. now, but I used to show The Onion before The Onion was quite as famous as it was. I used to show The Onion as an example because there was like, you know, there have been cases where people have taken The Onion news stories and thought that they were facts. And so mm, I pulled up The Onion. that now. Oh yeah, actions. Oh, I have seen. I have seen that actually. It's hilarious. (laughs) Um, But one one day I was teaching this workshop and I pulled up the Onion front page and um, one of the 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 top headline on the page had had a word that even I don't use uh, in it. And I was yeah, I was was a little embarrassed. You're like nothing to see here. I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm sorry about that. Let's look at a different. Let's go to Fox News. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I stopped using the onion as a class example. So, Jason, what have you been up to? It seems like you've been pretty busy also. I have had a really busy fall, and I'm I'm glad that I'm sort of easing into a little bit quieter time of the, the semester at this point because um, I'm getting a little bit of work done on an article I'll talk about, you know, down the road in a future episode when I'm further along done with it. But I'm collaborating on an article with a colleague right now, and I hope, hope to get a little work done now that so the students are a little quieter, but I had I had a couple of uh, presentations in the last few weeks, um, or one presentation, one class. For one thing, I'm teaching. I mentioned before that um, I'm co-teaching with Sarah Steiner, who's uh, my GSU colleague and has been on the show. We're teaching an online workshop for Simmons Library School. Uh, called Instruction Librarian Boot Camp. And I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but we had an overwhelming turnout for this, and I'm so glad that I had a co-teacher for this. Uh, we're halfway through now. We've, we've got, I think, about 25 people signed up for it, and I was just amazed at the turnout. Um, we're doing, like, week, we have it broken up into four Units and um, like week one was learning outcomes or learning objectives. Um, week two was instructional technology, and we did like libguides and tutorials. Um, week three that we just started is um, uh, active learning activities um, to kind of tie in with our gaming discussion last week, that kind of thing. And then week four is going to be about assessment. And I'm just, I'm amazed at the uh, the great turnout that we had for this. I'm hoping that we will 
be able to teach it again next year, maybe in the spring. Um, nothing for sure yet, but we had a really good turnout for that, and uh, I think people are finding it interesting and useful. It's it's kept me a lot busier than I uh, expected to be with it, just because there are so many people. So, um, so that's really neat. Uh, it's called Instruction Librarian Boot Camp, and like I said, I'm hoping I'll I'll do it again in the um, in the spring. What are your um, participants' background? Like, what's the spectrum? Are they library students? Are they new librarians? I don't think we have any current students. I know we have a couple of recent grads. We may have we may have one or two people that are like finishing up. So maybe I do have one or two current students. Um, we've got a lot of people who are sort of new to a teaching role. Um, we have a, a few people who signed up like all that all work at the same university, hmm. um, which is interesting. So they I don't know if like they're their whole instruction department just said, hey, this would be a cool thing to do together. But we've got several colleagues from the same university. We've got some people who have been teaching for a few years, but kind of, you know, the old story about you, you never learned how to teach and they, they mm-hmm. never really, you know, never took a class. And uh, and so we're trying to, uh, and it's really kind of exactly the audience we had hoped to have for this. A few people who have a little bit of experience, but um, kind of wanted to brush up on the theory and, and, you know, do some, some actual exercises of, uh, more formal course planning and stuff like that. Um, and a few people who have never taught before and, like, just got hired into an instruction position, that kind of thing. So it's a really interesting mix. Um, I, th- my impression is it's mostly academic librarians, but it's not all academics by a long shot. We have some folks in school libraries. We have some folks in public libraries. Um, we have at least one person who's like a corporate librarian who does training who is interested in getting into an academic job at some point. So we have a really interesting mix. Mm. And people from all over the country and, and uh, at least one Canadian, so technically an international class. So. That's awesome. I mean, I'm yeah, glad that you yeah, have, it's nice to have the diversity of the library settings that are partaking in it. It's it's really kind of exactly the the kind of um, group that it, I was hoping we would get for it, and and like I said, a, a bigger uh, turnout than I really expected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's great, and we're we're about halfway through right now, so we've got about two more weeks left in it. Um, like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, can I totally see going to that, and I would probably learn things. It has been. Um, I you know it it may be stuff that that we've all talked about on the podcast before and you guys have been to immersion i don't feel like there's anything i could teach you guys but um it, but you know oh, yeah. it's it's learned stuff everything like, there is to know oh, <laughs> but, oh whatever <laughs> but you know we've got interesting discussion going back and forth and uh and i i think there's some good ideas and and i feel like people are, are finding it useful the the unit that we just finished was on um, the instructional tech tools and i gave people the choice of using jing to create a video tutorial, a simple video tutorial, or um, signed up everybody for a LibGuides account and said, if you've never used LibGuides, try this out because this is a useful skill to have. Um, and uh, I'm learning some things, like if you're going to give a course assignment that requires a LibGuides account, warn the people at SpringShare ahead of time mm-hmm. uh, so that we can get everybody signed up for a LibGuides account. So that'll be a little s- more streamlined next time. I have admin access to one of their test sites and I could sign everybody up but it was like 
uh, the assignment's due in three days, and uh, how do I get an accountant? Yeah, so jump in. One of my students alerted me, thankfully, to the fact that this was a problem, and so I had to like on a Friday night had to. I was emailing back and forth with Springshare customer support, getting that sorted out. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, sorry, I'm kind of going on long, but um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was um, I got to be on a panel discussion with um, Siva Vaidyanathan um, a couple of weeks ago, which was really neat. He is the author of um, Googleization of Everything, along with a couple of other books, and he's a professor of media studies and law. And um, if you have not read his book, Googleization of Everything, it's really interesting, and I think it's it's a book that librarians should read. He is also really a, a great advocate of libraries and gets invited to a lot of library events and conferences and stuff like that, and he's like a real um, librarian booster. And it was so neat. I'd heard him speak before uh, about six months. Excuse me, about six months ago up in D.C. And um, it was so neat to actually meet him in person. And it was so interesting. And he's just so uh, uh, so intelligent and so articulate about the role of libraries in education and in the world. And uh, it was uh, it was really awesome. So that was that was really neat. Did you get his autograph? I did. Um, the uh, the conference. Uh, uh, Organizers Lyricist, one of our, our regional organizations, um, got us all um, copies of his book to read before the, the um, panel, and uh, so I brought mine and I got him to sign it. So he signed it something like, um, uh, "Jason, thanks for all the work you do for open knowledge," and I was very excited about mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. And is the panel uh, was it streamed or is it available anywhere online? It was it was streamed, I, but it was it was like a membership thing. You have to be a lyricist member organization to have access to it. I think so. As far as I know, I, I don't think that it's archived anywhere publicly available. Unfortunately, because I would I would love to be able to share it because it was really cool and really interesting. Um, but I I don't think that there's a way to see it online. Okay. So sorry, no. What a tease! (laughs) Sorry about that, but it was it was really really cool and interesting. You can't see it. Well, he he does so much speaking. He had done like forty cities this year. He said because his book just came out, you know, about a year ago, and uh, so I think there there have to be uh, a lot of his presentations available on uh, on YouTube or or online. I don't know that for sure, but I I I think that that's true. I know he's he's done like TV appearances that. Are available. He's like he's been on the Daily Show and stuff, and I know you can find that. So. Anyway, so that's it. I'm going to shut up for a little bit. Rachel, what'd you do for Halloween? <laughs> well, funny you should ask. Um, so it was kind of this random thing. I got an email uh, about a week before Halloween from one of the physics professors asking me if I wanted to participate in the AU science theme haunted house um, that they <laughs> were putting on. Yeah. Awesome. And I had never heard of it. What? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um and so they were looking for more people to kind of fill out the space. So um I said sure and then thought, Oh, I'll put something together next week. And then it was next week and I was like, Oh gosh, I haven't put anything together and um ended up recruiting some help, some other people in the library, and we put together a haunted library based on the um Ghostbusters. Um, scene where that uh, ghost is there. Yeah. That's so great. So, 
Yeah. So we had an actual card catalog from our library with um, cards like taped to the, you know, uh, hanging from strings from the ceiling. Like they were flying out of the card catalog. And um, we had the uh, clip from Ghostbusters. And then we got the parody of the clip from Be Kind Rewind and put those on repeat (laughs) on a laptop. And I pulled a bunch of books about ghosts and paranormal stuff um, and put that in a bookshelf. And then I was dressed as a ghost. So I actually got to um, hide and scare the crap out of them. Sorry. I guess you hide and scare people. <laughs> we can say um, we can say crap. I said pissed off. Okay. You can say crap. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, I scared the crap out of them. <laughs> uh, and they had a bunch of high schoolers come through. So it was kind of a marketing promotion to try and attract more high schoolers to sciences at AU. But um, there are a bunch of different rooms that they went through and they learned all of these Halloween-themed um, science stuff. So, like, the chemistry lab um, did all these cool reactions and they, like, tortured gummy bears and, like, made them shoot up into flames and stuff. It was the coolest thing ever. Oh it was God. so amazing. So amazing. And, like, going through, like, dissecting a dead body, not a real one, and, like, the hall of skeletons and <laughs> uh, I can't even remember all of it, but every department at AU, um, all the science departments had their own room. Um, so it was really cool. It was a chance to, you know, hang out with other faculty. And um, and then there was an open house Friday night, and we had about 600 people oh come God. through three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really fun, and I was super thrilled that they invited me to come along. So, How many high schoolers was- do you think went through? Um, we had four groups, and I think there are about 60 to 80 in each group. So Jeez. 250, 300 people. Yeah. And, you know, some of the, so many of the high schoolers were just, I'm so over this. Like, you can't scare me. But some of them were truly terrified as well. So, <laughs> uh, it was fun. I, I brought a bunch of post it notes and bookmarks out of everything. Everything. People actually wanted to take the cards from the card catalog. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I was going to ask where you found a card catalog, actually. We actually use that card catalog, so I was worried about people walking off with usable information, which may have happened while I wasn't paying attention. But um, our old theses and dissertations are still kept. Oh, wow. Yep. I didn't realize we had it, and I've been there almost three years. But it's a really cute, it's like, it was perfectly portable. It works really well. <laughs> That was how I spent my Halloween. <laughs> and I got—I re- probably got too into it because I kept going, Woo, I'm an librarian. <laughs> <laughs> are, there, are there pictures of you in the ghost costume? There are. I haven't found any yet. Okay, because uh, we had the monkey last month, or last episode. <laughs> I know. I think my, my goal in my professional career is now to dress in as many ridiculous costumes as I can. That's pretty yeah. awesome. I did put a I did put a costume photo on uh, my libguide for a couple of weeks before Halloween as my my libguide's um, profile. I, I usually do that every year, but that was that was all we did at our library. We didn't do anything Halloweeny particularly. Yeah, Halloweeny. Halloweeny. Um, should we? Uh, do we have anything else we want to catch up on before we go into our topic? Because we've been talking for a while now just about what's going on. Let's let's move on to our topic. Anna, did you suggest this or Rachel did? I, I think I did. I think it was Rachel. You want to yeah. bring us into our topic for this month, Rachel? Sure. 
Um, yeah, so this started actually when I went to observe one of my colleagues because um, he teaches a whole bunch of sections of this one class. And um, so most of the department helps out. And before we help out, we have to, well, we don't have to, but it's helpful to go see him do it so we know, you know, generally what he covers and how he does it. Um, and it was my first time observing someone in a long time, I think since I became a librarian when I was first starting at Emory. And I was, I, I just, I learned so much more than I thought I was going to. And it was really fun. It kind of got me re-energized. Um, but it got me thinking about not only observing people, but teaching with people and how you can learn from them and how teaching really changes once you add other people into the mix. So I thought it'd be fun to, to talk about that. Well, this is something Anna and I, when we worked together, used to co-teach. Uh, mm-hmm. We did several times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, I, th- I don't know that you and I did maybe maybe once or twice. Once. I, I think I, maybe I came in and did mm-hmm. a, an EndNote session. Yeah, yeah, before you were teaching EndNote, I want to say. Yeah. But, but since you were doing science stuff, and that's like way out of my usual <laughs> comfort zone, um, uh, maybe even more so now than then, I don't know. But... Um, we never did, but Anna and I used to co-teach on a, a at least a semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we did. Yeah, and I know I learned a lot from you because that was when I was I was pretty new to teaching um, myself, and uh, you were a lot more experienced at it than I was. So I, I got a lot of good stuff out of co-teaching. I guess that's one of the things that why I'm such an advocate for co-teaching because I don't. It doesn't matter if you're new to teaching or. Um, uh, if you've been doing it for you know years and years and years and years, is that I think that you you learn from someone else's style and mm-hmm. their because uh, I'm pretty much a spaz in the classroom, and I remember Jason was just this calming element in the classroom. So we really <laughs> were kind of like the yin and the, no, seriously, we were like the yin and the yang. I mean, it was like monkey spaz girl and then cool zen, <laughs> you know, hipster guy, and it was just it really was a nice blend and I think you also learn from people's um analogies that they use and mm-hmm. um even how they'll attack a a certain objective how they how they go into it and lead up to it and and how they yeah. execute it it's it, I always found it to be one of the greatest learning experiences and it's like this informal professional development that you're getting because yeah. it's not like this conference that you've signed up for you're just in the trenches teaching and I think Jason, you and I would always talk afterwards, which always helped because you can kind of solidify, mm-hmm. you know, what did we do today? And I would always try to mark down things that I know that you did. And I would like, okay, I need to, I'd like to incorporate this into my future classes when I'm teaching solo. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's impossible to walk away without having learned something, even if it's just, wow, I definitely don't want to walk down that road. You know, like this, there was dead silence. It was super uncomfortable. Well, you know. I was I was going to say I was thinking about whether whether or how to say this, but I I have uh, not not recently, but I I have done co teaching situations where I definitely learned what not to do because I could see it really um, crashing and burning in the classroom. And I I hope people haven't learned what not to do from me. Probably people have, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I've definitely on on more than one occasion I've learned what not to do, and I but I you know that was a positive experience for me because uh, I was seeing okay I might have tried that and it might not have worked 
And so I'm glad mm-hmm. to see somebody else try it and have it not work mm-hmm. instead of me. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, some of it is just the little stuff, you know, like being able to read students' reactions and responding, you know, not yeah. necessarily the content, not the metaphors, but just how you interact mm-hmm. with the students and how you treat them and, you know, how they treat you as a result. It's because I, I no, don't really notice it when I'm teaching myself. You know, I always think that they're totally out of tension 100% of the time. Well, unless they're falling asleep. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say I've seen you them fall asleep. And you have that extra pair always, of eyes kind of scanning the yeah, and it's easier, environment. It's easier to think that, like, oh, they must be tired today or, you know, like that it's due to these other factors and not due to what you're doing. You know, but when you're watching someone else, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that was probably a misstep or... The way they treated, you know, handled that was really good, and it really got their attention. That kind of stuff, it seems, is really valuable. Well, it was it was great for me when we were at Emory, and I was I was very new to teaching. Like I said, that was my first job where I was doing any kind of library instruction, and I was really actively encouraged to co-teach. I was I was co-teaching um, a lot more with. Um, uh, with other people than I was teaching solo for a, a while when I first started. So, um, yeah, and that was incredibly helpful to me because I really wouldn't have known kind of what I was doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was, I think, even before you guys worked there. But I was, like, doing lots of partnering mm-hmm. with people to teach. I, I think like that, really that was idea. very much encouraged at Emory University. I really do. I think that team teaching mm-hmm. was... Yeah, highly looked upon as a benefit. And to... I can't. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just I can't imagine having started teaching without having had that because it's like a, a wonderful safety net. You know, like I'm going to do what I can, but if I mess up, I've got a coworker here who's got my back who can right. finish those sentences when I totally trail off in panic. And you know, well, now I'm trailing off. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't but... know. Just being. <laughs> Being thrown into the deep end, you know, it relieved a lot of the anxiety for me. But I think that it's nice if it continues. I mean, even if you do it when you first start, I think there's something to be said for continuing that co-teaching experience throughout your your days at, you know, Emory or AU or wherever you are. I mean, it's, I don't know. I just think it's, it's something that's not tapped into. And I know that people look at it like a, well, now you're doubling up on your human resources. You know, you're taking two people's time to go in. So you're doubling the time. That's how they look at it. That's the math they use. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily true that you're doubling the time. Well, I, I was, I was thinking about this. This really can be a legitimate problem if you're at some place that's very busy with sure. teaching. Um, Georgia State, I I would love to do more co-teaching and more observing. I always think, I, like every semester, I think I really need to sit in on some other people's classes. It's Realistically, it's as much as I can do during a busy semester to keep up with my own classes, and I just don't have any spare time to sit in and observe or, or you know, rarely collaborate with anybody else on a class just because we're all so busy. I mean, more more so in uh, in some disciplines than others. I think the, the humanities folks in particular are, uh, we've all got really heavy teaching schedules, but I mean, it would be really, it would be challenging for me to find a co-teaching or a, or a teaching observation situation just just because of the time factor so i mean it it can be a real challenge 
what I have found, and, and I and I totally hear that, and I think about I think about where my instruction loads were heavier than um, at one institution than another, and I guess part of what I was thinking about was the prep time. I found that my prep time was actually less for the mm-hmm. class because I was That's dividing true. it up with somebody yeah. else, and I and I tended to have people who were present and who were active. You know, it wasn't like the group project mm-hmm. in library school where you'd had you know, the one or two people who didn't do anything. It was, it was, you know, people were, took responsibility and we got prepared, prepared for our class. And I do, and I can see that because I always wish that I had more time to observe people. Um, Cause I would love to, and not to evaluate them necessarily, although there is something to be said for that, but just to observe. I mean, because you can't see. You, I tended to have the people I co-taught with. You know, there was like a pool of them. You know, it'd be Jason, mm-hmm. and there was a few other that few others that it just naturally, organically, that's how it happened. That we always ended up co-teaching together. And we had a team of how many? Twenty-five, 25 thirty some, people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I know I didn't see everybody. I know I didn't. Yeah. Well, and there were some people who who didn't teach other, that other people they would uh, they did like cataloging for their subject area instead of instruction instead of for the subject That's area. Right. Yeah. yeah, So there would be some people so. who would cover more than one subject on it. But yeah, but anyway, your point is well taken. One of my favorite scenarios was um, because I didn't have a subject specialty; I was just kind of the librarian, you know, doing whatever, and the instruction librarian, I guess, and. Um, well, yeah, well, you were your sort of your subject area was like the first years mostly. Yeah, and kind right? of, and it was teaching methods, and I loved it when a subject specialist who didn't really enjoy the instruction aspect of their position would come to me, and we would partner together. And even though I would teach majority of the class, you know, in the, when we were actually in the classroom, I, it was one of my favorite. It was one of my favorite team teaching experiences to have because when they would get into their databases or get into start to critically think about, you know, how are they going to go about their research? This person actually had the the knowledge and the prompts to, Mm -hmm. of the resources to kind of help along. I mean, I could like show, you know, some type of method on something and and they would jump in with the actually um, subject knowledge of the area. So it really was, it was a nice combination. And, you know, it occurs to me that might be a good way to kind of, like, bring people who aren't that excited about instruction along in a gentle way. Instead of mandating, oh, you have to go observe people or we're going to evaluate you. Like, team teaching seems like a much more interesting, you know, exciting way of going about it. And it's probably, they're probably learning as much as we are. Or both people are learning, you know, a lot from the It's a win-win situation. There's, There's reciprocity there. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, this is why we don't do a podcast all alone, right? <laughs> oh God, no! I can't. I don't. I don't know how people do solo podcasts. I mean, I listen to some podcasts where, where it's just one person every week or every month or whatever, and it's you know, I'm like, wow, I could never do that. Um, but but which takes me to a point that I was going to make, though, is that I think that it can make the class more interesting for the students if it's done right. I think that the team teaching can can work well for the students 
because it can help. I, I wonder if it can help make the class more sort of interactive if you have a dialogue going between two people. Mm-hmm. We discovered early on when we were doing this podcast, that's a, an excellent example, actually, Rachel. We discovered early on that it was a lot more interesting if we were having a conversation instead of we used to do these yeah, the solo segments. Episode. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just like, you know, it would be me talking about LibGuides for 10 minutes or whatever, whatever it was. And then we would have the discussion segment, and we're like, wow, the discussion stuff is way more interesting for us anyway. Let's just make the whole show that. Um, And I think that maybe it encourages students to interact more if you have, like, two people that are having a conversation, even if they're both standing at the front of the room. I think that sort of encourages more discussion and more conversation among the students. At least I think that it can. Maybe it doesn't always. I think you're right, because instead of it going from lecture to discussion, it's like just entering into a previously existing discussion mm-hmm. that the, the two teachers are having. And even if, you, even if you're trading off, if like one person's teaching the first half and the other's teaching the second half, if you have somebody in the the audience, so to speak, that you're you're interacting with and, mm-hmm. you know, hey, Anna, what's that thing called that you showed me earlier? You know, even if you're sitting there with the students, I think having, having a, a voice back and forth, you know, between the front of the room and sitting in the audience. I think that helps encourage the students to participate as well. Yeah, and that reminds me of something else, which is getting the faculty as that, you know, I'm sure you guys have had faculty who pipe up in the middle of when you're teaching and add their own points. And it it would actually be a fun study to do, but um, I think almost without exception, every class I've had, the students tend to be more talkative when it happens. And I wonder if it's that same kind of creating the, the dynamic where it's okay to speak up, mm-hmm. you know. That's what I think anyway, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Although one time I had a class where the, the teaching assistant, the graduate student, brought the class in and the professor wasn't there. And so I would, I would ask questions of the class and then I'd stand there and let the room be quiet for a moment so students would feel encouraged to speak up. And the teaching assistant... I don't know if she felt bad for me standing there being quiet, but she was piping up and answering all the questions. And I finally had to go, okay, I know you know, but it was as, that... as polite as I could be about that. But Yeah. I think there's also two different kind of strategies that we're talking about here. There's the team teaching, and then there's observing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had the opportunity to, I mean, are you encouraged to observe where you are right now and are and have you been observed and is it part of your evaluation in any way or, I mean, how does that, how's that working where y'all are right now? Ours has been, um, kind of on and off, uh, this past month in October, we had observation October where people could write down classes that, um, you were welcome to attend as an observer, but, uh, I kept forgetting to write down classes. So, no one observed me, though I would have loved to have observers. And, I'm, you know, my policy is if you want to come, please, you know, anytime. But um, I think you kind of need that formality of a system. Uh, but it wasn't mandated. There was no – you could, like, write down comments to give to the other person if they wanted. Uh, but it was all pretty informal, and I, I'm not really sure how much happened. And in the past, my boss has come around mm-hmm. to watch all of us. Um, and that was more of a slightly more formal um, with, yeah, with feedback given to everybody, and it was part of, I think, part of our review. 
Um, but that's about all that exists. But that still, I know just of. having that month, October, what was it, Observation October or whatever? I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's a sign of the culture there that, yes, we want to be able to come in and see your classes and, you know, we want you to be able to go in and watch other people teach. And that's just nice because I haven't really encountered that mm. culture necessarily for observing. I, yeah, and I think it has to be. Formalized isn't quite the word that I want, but it has to be. It has to be institutionalized or, or part of the part of the culture in some way, or at least in my experience, it tends not to happen because I'm always happy to have somebody come and mm-hmm. observe if they want to. I, you know, I I would never object to that. Um, and if you know when we have new people start, I always you know if if the subject comes up, I'm always like, oh yeah, come and sit in on any of my classes because we've got a calendar of all the classes mm-hmm. that are being taught, you know, and so mm-hmm. there's always something going on. Um, we used to, and this was like, I think this kind of went away right around the time that I was starting um, at GSU. It, it used to be. That the uh, the head of instruction, who is, is still my boss, that's no longer her title, but um, she's still my manager. She used to formally go and observe everybody and give feedback, and it, it was meant more as a professional development right. kind of a thing. These are mm-hmm. these are some you know some ways that I could uh, suggest that you would improve or, or whatever, or these are things that are are working well. It wasn't like if if you weren't doing it right, then it, it would reflect negatively on your, your performance review or anything like that it was meant more as a, a more more closer to a training exercise in a way at least in the intent of it mm-hmm. at least that's how I understand um, but it was uh, I think it was very time consuming um, for this one person and um, I think that it just I, I don't know if people were taking it as, as more of an intimidating thing than it was really meant yeah. to be or whatever so it's not not really something that happens um, very often, and there, it may be that people are informally sitting in on each other's classes more than I realize, just to get get pointers and get ideas and stuff. Well, but and also I, goes back to what you said about it, it, you have a busy teaching schedule, and right. there is only you know seven days in the week, whatnot. That you know, whatever. There's a set amount of time. That, ideally, five days in the, well, the week. I know how you guys are. <laughs> Please, you're answering reference questions at 12 midnight. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm sure we are. <laughs> Each and every one of us. Oh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Um, but it's like you said, and I think also taking a break from teaching is good. <laughs> it's good yeah. to, to sit back. And I yeah. hope, and this is something I've tried to do is, is in those breaks, it's not just to take a break, like a nap, but to actually reflect on what did I do? What do I want to do differently this coming year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of aspect of it. Yeah, and so that's like observing. Overload. I think it just kind of naturally comes out of that when you do observations, you know, that you always in the end end up reflection, reflecting on your own teaching of how can I, you know, how can I work this in? And I don't know. I've I've never not walked away with new ideas. Yeah, at yeah least. Well, it just seeing seeing somebody else teach gives you a, a new perspective on it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I actually I used that Walmart thing. You know, the Walmart of databases, like <laughs> academic here. I told. I think I thought I got that from you, Anna. I'm pretty sure I did. I don't know what uh, I say it, half the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I thought it was such a good analogy because we were talking about subject-specific databases and why one would be appropriate, you know, because I had taught them academic search premiere last time. And then, so then I was like, well, there's also Google Scholar, which can be good sometimes. And then I, I was like, I don't know, what's bigger than Walmart, guys? And someone was like, oh, Costco. <laughs> like, okay, the Costco of databases. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've got, not to get us off, off topic, but we've got a new discovery tool that's not quite a database in the same way that like academic search is. It, it covers something like 90% of our, our online Is materials. your Summon as well? Uh, no, it's not Summon. It's the EBSCO one. Um, it's oh, a lot like Summon, yeah. Yes. And yeah. So I'm not even sure how to explain it to students half yep. the time. I mean, I like it, and I, I like the way it works, and they seem to like it, but um, I'm not quite sure how to explain it to them. I'm, I may have to think about that department yeah. store metaphor, though. I, I actually I usually compare it to Google Scholar in that they're fairly similar in that you'll get a lot and I usually recommend it when it's a really small topic. But if it's a general topic that they're finding, you know, fifty thousand articles, it's just not really that useful in that case. Unless they really just have low standards for what it is that they're pulling up. You know. It's a good time saver, but it's it doesn't really take the place of good quality research. Sometimes I say that. The right tool for the right job, as always. Yes! <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you need a sonic screwdriver. Sometimes you need a... I, uh, I heard a legend, actually, while I was in graduate school, that there was a teacher at University of Pittsburgh that would bring a lime green chainsaw to illustrate that point <laughs> about the right tool for the right job. And he would say, you don't use this chainsaw to cut a piece of paper. And then he'd bring out scissors. <laughs> now that's driving a point home. <laughs> yes. That <laughs> oh, I never got to observe him. <laughs> oh well. So, what's some of the best things? I know we want to wrap up pretty soon. What What is some of the the best um, uh, takeaways you've had from a uh, from a co teaching experience? I think uh, different ways of approaching not only the content but the people. I think that for me has been the most, you know, illuminating aspect is how the relationship between the teacher and the students and how the, you know, just the way you approach topics. And I don't know, like, you know, if you sit there and say, I'm not going on with this lecture until somebody says something, you know, can create just a different environment. Mm -hmm. You know, that those kinds of things that you probably don't realize when you are teaching. And I, I'm sure I am, have done many times. Um, Things like that, for me at least, have been the number one thing that I take away. I think I've um, uh, I got a lot of sort of confidence to not just kind of teach directly from an outline, but to be willing to go a little more on the fly, um, and to to uh, I, I really learned I, I learned a lot of this from Anna. I don't mind giving credit. Um, uh, a lot of just sort of getting the input from the students about okay, what do you guys want to cover today, and just seeing how well that helped engage the students with the class. That was that was something that I definitely um, I I don't think I would have come to that on my own nearly as readily um, as I did uh, uh, co-teaching, and I learned that from uh, from Anna and from a lot of our other colleagues that I, I used to co-teach with at uh, at Emory. There were a few people that I co-taught with regularly. Erin Mooney, who's been on the show as well, um, she was just a terrific teaching partner. Yeah, moons. 
She and I were too similar in the classroom, though, I think. <laughs> I think it. I think I think, that could be a good thing sometimes. Well, I think I think you really you as a teacher, one as a teacher, gets a lot more out of it when you find someone who complements your teaching style. That is is a is a complimentary counterpart to you, yeah. not not someone who says nice things about you. Although that's nice too. <laughs> but but if you can find somebody who's got a style that works well with yours, but is very different. Um, I, I think that's an excellent point. I think that um, uh, you can learn a lot from that. It's just how people f- have different learning styles. I know people out there say they don't exist, but until I, they haven't proved it to me yet. People have different teaching styles also. And I think if you have different teaching styles going on, then you're going to hit more of those, those different learning styles that people may favor um, as students, if that makes any sense at all. With mm-hmm. the complimentary aspect. I think the one thing I learned from co-teaching was, um, and it's kind of, it's very similar, Jason, to what you're talking about, where it kind of gave me the confidence to pursue it in my subsequent sessions, was that less is more. I always felt mm-hmm. like I had to make sure I had enough content for a 50-minute class, when the fact is, is you don't need a whole lot to fill that time. Mm-hmm. And I, that's something I took away from... Um, I remember this case very, 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 very well. It was when I was at the University of Georgia, and I was working with um, a woman who, or a gentleman who was our business librarian. And I'm like, but we have to do this and this and this and this. And he's like, Anna, no. (laughs) We've got 50 minutes. (laughs) And he's like, this is what we're going to do. He's like, we'll do it this way. He's like, you know, and then we kind of divvied up what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And he knew, he knew because he knew the subject. He knew because he knew his um, community, which was his business librarians that he was working with, our business students that he was working with. And I just, I took so much away from that experience, walking away Mm -hmm. and saying, for one thing, getting, he, he, he was a special case because he knew what these students already knew. And that's what you subject librarians, I think, really do get, is you get that environmental scan of where your population is at. And um, I wish I, I wish in my cases I could have been able to do that more. And I know that I tried to do it, you know, kind of talking with the teacher before, or the professor beforehand and whatnot. Um, but again, that's getting it secondhand. Um, but that's that was one of the big things I took away, and that's something I always tried to incorporate was kind of get that environmental scan and really – and, of course, it doesn't always happen, as we all know. You get the class where it's roly-poly, pell-mell, and you're like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that really only comes with working with uh, a class a couple of times. You know, then you get a sense of what they what they really need from it. So, But, you know, partnering – again, to bring it back to our theme, partnering with – with somebody who does know that you don't have to know it if you can partner with somebody who does right which is great right i uh, i think i talked to this wasn't really co-teaching but i think i talked earlier in the semester about how i had to ask for help with with some of my classes because i just couldn't keep Mm -hmm. up couldn't keep up with all of them and uh god i was so grateful i had three colleagues step up and help me do these seven classes and i had to actually like turn people away and say no okay i've got enough help i've got to i've got to do some of these myself um, but uh, it was great, and we had a you know we had a briefing session um, beforehand, and I said, okay, here's what they know, here's what they're probably going to ask about, here's what I usually cover, mm-hmm. questions about this. So, yeah. But I, I still struggle with what you're talking about about um, you know trying not to over plan um, and and 
trusting that that it's going to go okay with less material. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. And I'll tell you the other. This is related to what you were talking about with the. Um, and this is more of what I took away from an observation that was a random observation that I did. Um, and it was someone who was asking for help. Um, I don't know if you remember, but at Emory, they'd have that psychology section where they would have, mm-hmm. I don't even know how many section yep. classes were coming <laughs> in and there would be a call for help. And I would, I went in and observed the psychology librarian and we had completely different ways of teaching. I mean, opposite ways of teaching, not that her, and that's when I realized no one, no one way was really better than the other. It was just different styles of teaching. And that it kind of opened up my eyes that, you know, there is a variety out there and it's okay to mix up that variety. And it just, it was such an, and that's such a no brainer, but it was such an eye opener to me. (laughs) And she, and I I learned, I learned an amazing amount from just that one observation. And basically it was the same thing that you were doing with your, um, people that were helping you Jason she was like mm-hmm. this is what people are going to probably where they are in the class what they're probably going to ask about you know what mm-hmm. knowledge they should already have etc right right but it was um, you know interesting I think the other thing that uh, that kind of thing teaches me is not only that there are uh, different teaching styles that are that work but that I can be a good teacher just as I am that yeah you know, because I definitely used to think like, oh, God, I have to create lesson plans and I have to be really, you know, I have to create handouts and this is how it's done. You know, that there is, that's how you teach and you're very organized and that is not me at all. <laughs> and I think it was watching people like Anna, you know, that are more just go with the flow and, you know, see where it goes and just let them, you know, let the class lead itself almost. You guys make me like, so okay. fun with the earth and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that makes me, that I think about is, you were talking about, Rachel, about doing a study, like a research study on class engagement. I would love to do a research thing on, um, like, the trajectory of an instruction librarian's life. And because I know that when I first started at my first academic library job, I went in and I observed, and I did exactly what that preferred person did for that first semester, at least. I know I did it verbatim you know I did this step here this step here outline 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 not that that's because she had it outlined like that that was her natural flow but I made it into this outline and then I got the confidence I started to break off and do other things I mean did you guys do that at all did you like your first person that you watch you're like okay yes it was that same class and we will (laughs) yeah it was yeah I think so she had a PDF, so I, or the a PowerPoint. So I used the PowerPoint with the same examples, and I'm like, okay, I have to remember the wording that she used because it was really effective, you know. But if I mess it up, then I'm totally gonna mess up the example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it took me a while to come oh. around to. I can make this my own instead of right, right. I can make somebody else's. You know, and we we laugh about it now, but like, it, if you're learning a musical instrument and you learn one song, then that's like the only way you know how to play and then you learn a second song and you think well I could take some of the stuff I was doing in the second song and I could play the first song this way and I, I, I don't riffing. yeah I could start <laughs> riffing and you don't you don't riff unless you you know unless you have a, a variety of, of styles that you can something to draw work on with. You have to have yeah, to yeah. Work yeah. With first. so I, well, think, I mean hmm. oh sorry just one of the underlying things that it, I think that I learned from everybody is just that no matter how you teach, if you do it with confidence, it makes such a difference, you know, 
and that's what you know like riffing takes confidence and i think teaching ultimately being a good teacher is just about i'm gonna do this and not you know am i doing this right second guessing yourself yeah just go with it (laughs) that sounds like an excellent positive note to wrap up on doesn't it yes i love it (laughs) let's just let's just close out right there and everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Are you guys doing something fun for Thanksgiving? Eating. Lots yeah. of eating. Yeah. <laughs> eating, eating, more eating. Yeah. We have we have a couple of close friends coming over for dinner and not going anywhere. So Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a wonderful break. And um, uh, we will talk to you in approximately a month, we hope, this time to get back on schedule. And uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. Thanks for listening. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial license. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.